we have just been in some of the greatest chapters in the Old Testament. We have seen David, the son of Abraham, the son of Judah, exalted to the throne. A man with a heart like God's, eager to worship God, zealous to call people to worship the Lord. And then in 2 Samuel 7, we heard God tell David that it would be through David and his sons that God would establish his eternal kingdom. That God would always be faithful to David. That there would not be a time that David's son would not sit on the throne. He would rule over an eternal kingdom. And then we saw David as the conquering king, defeating everyone. Wherever he went, the Lord gave him victory. But not just that. Then we saw the heart of David, the heart of God in the heart of David. As he, as he extends mercy to Mephibosheth, one of Jonathan's sons, who was lame, crippled, who, who for most people would have been thought of as an enemy of David. And David welcomes him in and shows him favor. For the rest of his life, he, Mephibosheth is able to eat with David at David's table. And we think, this, this is like the best I have felt in the Bible since Genesis 2, maybe. right? Be, before Adam and his wife ever took the fruit of that tree and plunged us into sin and, and this world into brokenness. Before that ever happened. Maybe that's how far you'd have to go back to think of things looking so good. As they do under the rule of the righteous King David. Who's ruling under God, for God, over God's people. In the place that God has promised and given to the people. This is as good as it gets at this point in the story. Up to this point probably uh, since Genesis 2. Then you come into 2 Samuel chapter 11. Sometime later, in the springtime when kings go out to battle, David sends out his military commander, his officers, soldiers, and, and he decides to stay back home. He's walking on the roof of his house, something common in that day, and, and he looks out and he sees a woman bathing in a nearby place. David begins to look at her. He sees she's a beautiful woman. So he sends to ask about her. The report comes back. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of your soldiers, who's out for battle. David doesn't seem to care. He's seen her, and his heart is being drawn away. 2 Samuel 11, verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. She returns home. Out of nowhere. I mean, where did that come from? Out of nowhere, the man after God's own heart has looked, 
coveted his neighbor's wife, lusted in his heart after her, hears that she belongs to one of his soldiers who's out risking his life for David, for his beloved king, and, and he takes that soldier's wife and commits adultery with her, a sin worthy of death under the old covenant, under the Mosaic law. Where did that come from? Well, 2 Samuel 11, verse 5, what happens? The woman conceives. She sends and tells David the words, I'm pregnant. What's David going to do? Time's running short. He, he gets a plan in his mind. Send for Uriah. He calls Uriah, the Hittite, back from the battlefield. He tries his best to get Uriah to go home to his wife, to Bathsheba, so that he can sleep with her. Because if, if that happens, it'll just seem like the, the child belongs to Uriah. But Uriah is so faithful to David, his king, Yahweh's anointed, and he's so concerned about his fellow soldiers who are out there risking their lives in the battle, he, he doesn't want to go home. He wants to stay near David. David tries and tries. He can't get him to go home. So David's plan is failing. Time is running out. So what's he going to do? He thinks, I'm going to write a letter. He writes a letter to Joab, the commanding officer out in the battle. He seals it up so that no one will be able to see it except for Joab. And he, and he sends it with Uriah. Take this to Joab, your commander. The letter says, 2 Samuel 11, verse 15, Joab, put Uriah in the hottest place of battle and then draw back from him so that he will die. Uriah has no idea what is about to happen. He loves David. He's totally faithful to David. And now, unknowingly, he is carrying his own death letter some 40 miles all the way back to the battlefield. He delivers it to Joab, who does what David said. Uriah goes out to battle. He goes to the place where valiant men fight in order to protect and defend his king, David. And Uriah is killed, fighting for the very king who arranged his death. David hears of it. Takes Bathsheba to be his own wife. She's pregnant. They're going to have a son. Nobody knows. 2 Samuel 11 verse 27 in the second half. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. In one chapter, everything's different. The man after God's own heart, the one we have been waiting to meet for thousands of years, in an instant in the narrative, looks, lusts, covets, takes, commits adultery, and then to hide his sin, he murders one of the men who would have done anything to protect him, who in fact gave up his life for David. He murdered him, and God knew about it all. 
Do you remember Hannah's song? God is a God of knowledge. David himself was a songwriter. He wrote things about this, about how the Lord searches him and knows him. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David knew all of this about how God always knows, always sees. And yet David feels like he's acting like he's just gotten away with it all. But the one person that David could not fool was God. God knew. God always knows. But the hypocrisy of this, that for nine months, David lives as the king of Israel, as the Messiah, the anointed of Yahweh. And he's just hiding what he's done. And the hypocrisy makes us sick. We have been longing for David, hoping there'd be a guy like him who would be able to crush the serpent's head, who'd be able to take us back to the way things used to be, hoping this guy could be the guy that could overturn what Adam did. And now that we find him and we see this scene, we find this guy, as good as he is, is all too much like Adam. And what's just as sad is he's all too much like us. Give, him, give a person, give them the, the right situation or, or maybe the wrong situation. And in spite of all of his love for the Lord, he can be drawn away by sin, by temptation, and he can lose sight of God and he can go down a path that he never thought he could have gone. Do things he never would have imagined possible. And we see it in the king who, who when he was a teenager, was willing to risk his life to fight for the name of the Lord. And now in this climactic moment as king over all of Israel, he completely blows it all and we think how could he ever have done this and really what i think is that i don't know that you feel this way so sad about what you read since you read genesis 3 the fall of adam where you felt so good after Genesis 2, a perfect world with perfect people in relationship with God, and then the crushing fall in Genesis 3. It's like it's repeated in the life of David, where we felt like we were soaring in the story. And then it comes crashing down because we realize David is not the answer. As, as faithful as he has been, he's not able to deliver. He's not able to overturn what Adam did. And the only thing that we have going for us is the promise of God that he made where he covenanted to David 
that he would not remove his steadfast love from David like he did from Saul. And so we've got to cling to the promise of God, not to the worthy man, but to the man who has brought reproach on God's name. But we remember God's promise and we throw ourselves on the faithfulness of God to keep his promise even to a rebellious son.